Joshua 10, Mark 4, and the Gospel of John chapter 1. Joshua 10, Mark 4, and John 1. Okay, if you need a Bible, just keep your hands up and they're coming. Joshua 10, Mark 4. John 1, we are glad you're with us this morning. Uh, we asked during the uh, service, the, uh, the snack table is closed, it opens again after the service. Um, if you have to get up during the service, uh, in that moment somebody might be having their Jesus moment, so we just ask that you please be sensitive that if you don't need to get up, uh, we, we, we try to not because you know we take studying the Word really seriously. And... Um, and if, uh, but if you have to, we understand that. There are things that happen. Um, just try to work your way to the back, and, um, and we have plenty of seating there. Um, and please, uh, we would also like to ask you, as far as cell phones, please set your phasers on stun. I'm <laughs> All right. We're going to, uh, we're continuing in the... Uh, this will be our last message in Joshua for a couple of weeks. Next week we have a special message on Palm Sunday. And then, uh, then we, of course, have a special gospel message on Easter Sunday. And uh, for jo Joshua 10, verse 1. How many of you need to hear from the Lord today? Did anybody walk into this room saying, you know what, I really don't kind of need this today? I came in here needing this today. All right, we were having a little bit of technical difficulties when we first walked in this morning. My stress level was up here, and God was like, you know what? It's not about the microphones. It's not about the show. It's about getting into the Word of God. That is first, foremost, most important to what we do. That's why we're here. All right, that's his word right in front of us. And so I just felt like saying that maybe somebody needed to hear that because maybe there was a distractor or something going on in your lives today that you said, you know what? Um, I'm making something the main thing that's not the main thing. If you're in for making the main thing, the main thing, the main thing, then say amen. amen. All right, now let's read jo Joshua 10. Now it came to pass when Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem, heard how Joshua had taken Ai and had utterly destroyed it as he had done to Jericho and its king, so he had done to Ai and its king. And how the inhabitants of Gibeon had made peace with Israel and were among them, that they feared greatly because Gibeon was a great city, like one of the royal cities, and because it was greater than Ai, and all its men were mighty. Therefore Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem, sent to Hoham, king of Hebron, Piram, king of Jarmuth, Japhia, king of Lachish, and Debir, king of Eglon, saying, Come up to me and help me, that we may attack Gibeon, for it has made peace with Joshua and with the children of Israel. Therefore the five kings of the Amorites, the kings of Jerusalem, the kings of Hebron, the kings of Jarmuth, the kings of Lachish, and the kings of Eglon gathered together and went up, and they and their armies camped before Gibeon and made war against it. And the men of Gibeon sent to Joshua at the camp at Gilgal, saying, 
Do not forsake your servants. Come up to us quickly. Save us and help us for all the kings of the Amorites who dwell in the mountains have gathered together against us. So Joshua ascended from Gilgal. He and all the people of war with him and all the mighty men of valor. And the Lord said to Joshua, Do not fear them, for I have delivered them into your hand. Not a man of them shall stand before you. Joshua therefore came upon them suddenly, having marched all night from Gilgal. So the Lord routed them before Israel, killed them with a great slaughter at Gibeon, chased them along the road that goes to Beth Horon, and struck them down as far as Ezekah and Makeda. And it happened as they fled before Israel and were on the descent of Beth Horon that the Lord cast down large hailstones from heaven on them as far as Ezekah, and they died. There were more who died from the hailstones when the children of Israel killed with the sword. Then Joshua spoke to the Lord in the day when the Lord delivered up the Amorites from the children of Israel, and he said in the sight of Israel, Sun, stand still over Gibeon, and moon in the valley of Ajalon. So the sun stood still, and the moon stopped till the people had revenge upon their enemies. Is this not what was written in the book of Jasher? So the sun stood still in the midst of heaven and did not hasten to go down for about a whole day. And there has been no day like that, before it or after that, that the Lord heeded the voice of a man, for the Lord fought for Israel. The Lord fought for Israel. Then Joshua returned, and all Israel with him to the camp at Gilgal. Father, we pray for those in here today that are fighting their own battles and losing miserably, that we see your power and your strength in the most challenging of our situations that your great love and your great power would be displayed in the midst of our crisis and in the midst of our turmoil, that we would be refreshed, renewed, encouraged, strengthened today as we read this and we are reminded that the battle is yours. The battle belongs to the Lord in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Every infomercial advertiser wants to show their product in action, yes? Every infomercial advertiser wants to show their product in action. So what they want to do if they're showing you workout equipment is they want to make sure they get somebody that's really out of shape. They want to make sure that this person is out of shape so that when they show you, the new one that I just picked up on was called the Body Beast, all right? So when they show you the Body Beast, and you start working out that you could go from this to this. You see, if you're in sad shape, if you're in bad shape, and you just call that number, you call that number, you get their product, then you see the power of their product to change and transform. That's the body beast. Yes, Pastor John went for it. Just like Pastor John went for the total gym. And just went for the exercise ball before that. And before that, it was got a door, got a gym. Okay, so Pastor John falls for these infomercials at times. Tiffany sits there and just says, I wonder how long he's going to use it for. I wonder how long he's going to use it for before it becomes something that we can hang our laundry on. Any of you have that in your home, all right? 
every infomercial advertiser wants to show you their product in action. So if it's like an OxyClean, what they'll do is they'll, sh they'll take something and they'll put grease on it. They'll put motor oil on it. They'll put dirt on it. And if you just dial this number right now, and if you order within the next five minutes, you can get two of them. All right, if you just order right now, what will happen is you can get their product. You just call that number and your whatever it is that has been made dirty will be made white and pure snow again. See, what they want to do is they want to show their product in action. And the greater the mess that is made, the greater the opportunity for them to show their product in action. We would all agree that that is the purpose of the infomercial advertiser. How many of you have been put in crazy, impossible circumstances? And have you realized that possibly that those crazy, impossible circumstances that you might be able to go to God and that the world would see the power of your God through your impossible circumstance. See, that's really what we're going to talk about today. From personal experience, it happened over 15 years ago where my father in the front row was diagnosed with a fourth stage lung cancer. Going to Sloan Kettering many years ago, he had found that the cancer was now back and it was in both lungs. So it was 15 years ago? 17 years ago. Okay, 17 years ago, it was back with a vengeance in both lungs. Dad looked at the doctor. The doctor, he asked the doctor, he said, can I beat this? Point blank. The doctor said, no, you can't. And the doctor was 100% right. No, he couldn't. Now, the extreme impossible circumstance brought this family to our knees. And while we found a treatment that was happening in Rochester, it was an experimental treatment, what we attribute the healing to, make no mistake, is God Almighty, the God that gives healing, the God that can do the impossible. So I ask you today as we begin this message today, and we're calling this message the day the sun stood still because there's been no day in history quite like this day where the sun stood still it was an impossible circumstance. The armies that they were up against, they were up against five armies. So we're going to take a look at this today, and we're going to see how extreme problems lead us to extreme prayer. And then what will happen is it will manifest extreme power, God's extreme power. So let's take a look at our passage again. It's Joshua 10. Now it came to pass, verse 1, when Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem, heard how Joshua had taken Ai and had utterly destroyed it, as he had done to Jericho and its king, so he had done to Ai and its king, and how the inhabitants of Gibeon had made peace with Israel and were among them, they, that they feared greatly because Gibeon was a great city, like one of the royal cities. And because it was greater than Ai and all its men were mighty, therefore Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem, sent to, and he lists this group of kings through verse 3. Verse 4 says, Come up to me and help me that we may attack Gibeon, for it has made peace with Joshua and with the children of Israel. Therefore, the five kings of the Amorites, the king of Jerusalem, the king of Hebron, the king of Jarmuth, the king of Lachish, and the king of Eglon, gathered together and went up, and they and all their armies camped before Gibeon and made war against it. Let's give you a little bit of background on where we're at right now. A little bit of background where we're at is that 
the children of Israel are on their way to the promised land. They are marching to the promised land after 40 years of the wilderness. They've seen amazing miracles. They've seen God part the water for them. They've seen the walls come crashing down. They've seen all of this stuff. They've beat these armies. They, they, we just saw them beat the army of Ai. And now here they are. Last week, they get deceived by the people of Gibeon. They were told to conquer the people of Gibeon. And what happened instead, instead of conquering them, Gibeon came and they deceived the children of Israel and they made a treaty with them. So now Israel is obligated because they gave their word to protect Gibeon. That's just the background so you know where we're at. The children of Israel had Gibeon's back. They had the back of the Gibeonites. The Gibeonites had made peace, it says here in the passage, with Israel. The word for peace is shalom. All right, the word for peace is shalom, and what that word means, it is to destroy, it is to destroy the authority by putting in confusion. All right? To destroy the authority, I'm sorry, it's to destroy the authority of confusion. That's to make peace. To destroy the authority of confusion. So the people of Gibeon had made peace with the children of Israel. They made peace with God. Now, application for us. Pretty simple. When you make peace with God, you're calling for war with the world. Fair enough? When you make peace with God, you are calling for war with the world. You have a choice, my friends. The choice is this, is that you can either make peace with the world and be at war with God, or you can make peace with God and be at war with the world. Which would you rather? Well, you're in church today and you have your Bibles open, okay? So if you're in church today with your Bibles open then we're going to assume that we're here because we want peace with God. Prepare for war. Prepare for war. For some of you, since the day you made that decision to come up and ask Jesus to be your Savior, since that day, things didn't necessarily get easier in your life the way that the world considers easy. Right? And so what we have here is a people that have said, you know what? We're in trouble. We have five armies coming at us. And now, these people of Gibeon, the Bible tells us, these were mighty warriors. They weren't afraid of anything, but when they heard the children of Israel were coming, they said, you know what? We better make peace with them somehow. Because they saw the power of Israel's God. But now Gibeon, full of mighty warriors, they're saying, you know what? We need some help. We've got five armies coming at us this way, and they're going to dismantle us, and they're going to destroy us. So what do they do? They call the people of God. In essence, they call upon the power of God because they believe the power of God greater than the trouble that the world is bringing. That's why they made peace with them in the first place. Are you at peace right now? Let me ask you, are you at peace right now? There's a verse that we talk about frequently, Colossians 3.15, and I would... You know, when I give you a verse like this and you hear the pastor say it repeatedly, I would always suggest that you write this one down so you can at least go look it up at home. Colossians 3.15 reads like this. Let the peace of Christ rule your hearts. If you're not at peace, then something else other than Christ is ruling your heart. You have to get that thing off the throne of your heart so you can put Jesus back on the throne of your heart so that you can indeed have the peace that surpasseth understanding. The Gibeonites simply know this, is that, listen, we've got a tremendous challenge coming at us, and what we need to do is we need to call the people of God that we just aligned ourselves with and aligned ourselves with the power of God. 
Verse 6 says, And the men of Gibeon sent to Joshua at the camp of Gilgal, saying, Do not forsake your servants. Come to us quickly. Save us and help us. For all the kings of the Amorites who dwell in the mountains have gathered together against us. Verse 7, Joshua ascended from Gilgal. He and all the people of war with him and all the mighty men of valor. And the Lord said to Joshua, Do not fear them, for I have delivered them into your hand. Stop right there. What we see here first is the extreme problem. An extreme problem. These five armies, most of these nations were usually at war with one another. But when faced with a common threat that threatened their existence, what they're doing is is that the evil is amassing together. It's coming together and saying, listen, if we want to protect our evil lifestyle, then we need to destroy the Gibeonites because we do not want life as we know it to come to an end. The Gibeonites have chosen a side. You're here today, you've chosen a side. You've chosen a side, but here's the thing. It's like there are many times in our lives where we're trying to do things God's way when we have this extreme problem and our way. And you do know that you can't do it both ways, right? You can't have it both ways. You can't be in McDonald's and Burger King at the same time. You're either ordering the Big Mac or you're ordering the Whopper. Okay, you cannot be in two places at once. And so you need to either be with God or doing things on your own, in your own strength and in your own power. Isn't the Bible full of men and women that were going through extreme problems? Don't you see that everywhere from Genesis to Revelation? Extreme problems that they're going through? Noah has an extreme problem, yes? He's got a flood coming. That's an extreme problem. It's a worldwide flood. That's extreme. Moses went through some extreme problems and extreme challenges. I was watching one of the videos on Facebook from the, uh, the Bible movie where they played that video where he parts the Red Sea. And it just when it, it brings it to life sometimes when you're looking at something visually. You're looking at the army coming this way. You're looking at the Red Sea this way. It's an extreme problem. Noah faced extreme problems. Moses faced extreme problems. David faced extreme problems. Daniel faced extreme problems. But if you think positively, you're never going to have a problem again for the rest of your life, and everything's going to be sunshine and lollipops. Not according to this book. Not according to this book. Do you, what's your extreme problem right now? You know what it is. You know what your extreme problem, you know what your extreme challenge is. And usually it's the thing that we're trying to run away from. It's the thing that we're trying to avoid or the thing we're trying to fight on our own strength. And because we're trying to fight it on our own strength, time and time again, we find ourselves angry. We find ourselves tired. We find ourselves anxious. We find ourselves frustrated. God's not the author of anger. Your frustration isn't because of him. He's well aware of your situation. He's well aware of it. There's nothing that has happened to you, nor me. There's nothing that has happened to us that has gotten past his notice. So if there's an extreme problem, then the one that we have to go to is the God of heaven. The disciples give us a really, really good example of this. Keep your place in Joshua. Let's flip over to Mark chapter 4, verse 35. Mark 4, verse 35. 
And it reads like this. Mark 4, verse 35, it says, On the same day, when evening had come, he had said to them, Let us cross over to the other side. Now when they had left the multitude, they took him along in the boat as he was, and other little boats were also with him, and a great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat so that it was already filling, but he was in the stern asleep on a pillow. He was asleep on a pillow. And they awoke him and they said, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Stop right there. The disciples have an extreme problem. This isn't a regular storm. This is the kind of storm that has fishermen fearing for their lives. What kind of a storm is that? For these guys that are always out on the water, if they're afraid and they're afraid for their lives, how bad must this storm have been? Pretty severe, right? I had a little injury to my eye the other day. My wife works in the ER, okay? So she sees a lot in the emergency room. So when I show her my eye and my wife, and when my wife goes, ooh, when she does that, I know it's pretty serious. I know there's something going on because she's working in the emergency room. She sees a lot of stuff. So that's the kind of thing when she, when she starts going, ooh, ooh, that's terrible. I start getting concerned. I'm like, all right, am, am I dying? Or, you know, what's, what's going on here? The disciples, the disciples are sitting there, and they're scared to death of the storm. They have an extreme problem on their hands. Does anybody in this room have an extreme problem right now? You have a situation. It's financial. It's physical. It's at the workplace. You have a situation right now, and you need answers, and you're going through what feels to be, some of you, the struggle of your life. You feel like the disciples that night, you feel like you're in a storm right now, and you feel like it is the fight of your life. You feel like you're the people, of the children of Israel. You've got five armies coming at you. You feel like the Gibeonites right now, and the world is coming at you full force because you've aligned yourself with the things of God. What do the disciples do? The disciples... Take a look, and they, there's one on the, on the boat that's sleeping. There's one that's sleeping. That's Jesus. Do you understand that the problem that is shaking you, the extreme problem, is not shaking him? That though your world may be shaken, his throne is perfectly still. So who are you calling on for help? Are you trying to do things the way that you've always done them? Are you trying to handle the problems the way that you always have? Or are you going to make some changes right now? Are you saying, you know what? I have an extreme problem on my hands. It is time for me to go to the God of heaven. We're going to go back to Mark 4. But first what I want you to do is I want you to go back to Joshua 10, because I want you to see what happens here starting at verse 7. So we started with an extreme problem. So if you're in an extreme problem right now, the things that we're about to look at, you can apply to your extreme problem, just as the children of Israel did, just as the disciples on the boat did. It says here in verse 7, So Joshua ascended from Gilgal, he and all the people of war with him, and all the mighty men of valor, and the Lord said to Joshua, you got to love this. Again, do not fear them. Do not fear them, for I have delivered them into your hand. Not a man of them shall stand before you. 
Joshua therefore came upon them suddenly, having marched all night from Gilgal. So the Lord routed them before Israel, killed them with a great slaughter at Gibeon, chased them along the road that goes to Beth Haran, and struck them down as far as Ezekah and Machedah. And it happened as they fled before Israel and were on the descent of Beth Haran, and that the Lord cast down large hailstones from heaven on them as far as Ezekah, and they died. And there were more who died from the hailstones than the children of Israel killed with the sword. Listen, there were more who died from the hailstones than the children of Israel killed with the sword. Then Joshua spoke to the Lord in the day when the Lord delivered up the Amorites before the children of Israel and he said in the sight of Israel sun stand still over Gibeon and moon in the valley of Ajalon stop right there extreme problems give birth to extreme prayers okay that's the next point so first we saw extreme problems but extreme problems give birth to extreme prayers now, prayer, I don't want you to misunderstand this. The prayer here isn't limited to sun stand still. It isn't limited to that because prayer, communication with the believer, communication with God for the believer. It's your communication as believers with God. So while God can hear any prayer, it's the prayer of the child of God that is heard, that is heard, that's the prayer that God listens to because we pray to him through his son. It's two ways. It's a two-way street. It's us listening to God, a response to God, and us talking to God. Most of us, our prayer life is limited. It's limited to a grocery list. How many of you went to sit on Santa's lap as a kid? <laughs> what do you want, little Johnny? Right? That's most people's idea of prayer. Most people's idea of prayer is limited. You know, our youth are in here right now, and I, I guess one of them just found out that there wasn't a Santa Claus. Oops. <laughs> it's the believer's communication with God, and it's two ways. It's two ways. It's listening to God, and it's talking to God. It's listening to God, and it's talking to God. So this dialogue with Joshua starts with him stepping out in faith. He's going in obedience to help the people that he promised to protect the Gibeonites. And when he does that, God says, listen, don't be afraid. You're doing my will. I've got your back. I'm going before you. I'm taking care of this with you. I'm with you. That's the beginning of prayer is Joshua listening to God. Do you know how many prayers there are in the Bible that are responses to promises of God that when Daniel's praying Daniel had looked at scripture and said God there's something here and I need some understanding I need to know what's going to happen and Daniel goes seeking wisdom from God based on what he's read there has to be that communication that's why it's a great thing to pray with your Bibles open that's why during this 40-day prayer fast that the church is doing we want you to reflect but we also want you to respond to what you're reading as you're reading it's God show me something here show me yourself and let me respond to it prayer is a two-way two-way street it's the believers communication with God but we have to be listening that's why when we teach you this model of prayer called acts how many of you have heard of acts all right, that's the adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. Every single part of that prayer. When we start the prayer, we start in adoration to God. We start adoring Him 
and, and acknowledging him. That's where the prayer starts with the focus on him, right? So it's a response to him. Maybe you're out in creation and you're looking at the sun or you're looking at the sky or you're looking at the stars. Maybe you're looking at your Bible and you're, you're taking a look at a verse that says, greater love hath no man than this, and your prayer is a response to that, at acknowledging him, adoring him, I love you, Lord. How great is our God? All right, so your prayer is a response to God showing himself, yes? Now we go to confession. Confession is saying, wow, as I see you in Scripture and I see your holiness, God, I realize that there's a lot about me that's unholy. It's still a response because I'm saying sorry now. And then I realize that I'm forgiven, so now I'm saying thank you. And now that puts everything that I have in my life in perspective. And now I go to him with supplications. That's just needs. Supplication is just a fancy word with needs and interceding on someone else's behalf. Now I'm going to him. But do you understand how it's all about him? Prayer from the beginning. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. It's all about him. But so often our prayer is simply limited to this. When we're in the struggle, when we're in the problem, God, help me. And when we get the answer, thank God. And then that's the end of the prayer. The more extreme the situation, do you think that it's fair to say the more extreme the problem, the more extreme the prayer? Is that fair to say? Why? Because extreme situations have a tendency to bring us exactly where God wants us. Extreme situations have the tendency to bring us to our knees. And maybe that's the only way God could get us there in the first place. The extreme situation. And so they've got five armies coming at them and they've got a great promise from God saying, don't fear them. I've delivered them into your hand. Joshua was already marching in faith towards them. He had marched all night. You would think that after they marched all night that they would need a rest, right? After marching all night, but now when they get God's word, they're like, you know what? They go right into battle. They had marched all night. They go right into battle because they've got the power of God in front of them, going before them. And it says here, so the Lord routed them before Israel, killed them with a great slaughter at Gibeon, chased them along the road that goes to Beth Horon, and struck them down. And, and we've read this part already. But what you see is that God is going before them. And down here it says, there were more who died in verse 11 from the hailstones that God sent than the children of Israel killed with the sword. What does that tell you about the battle? Who does the battle belong to? It belongs to the Lord. And so Joshua says this massive, immense prayer, son, stand still. Moon, don't you move. That's a crazy prayer. That's a crazy prayer. Extreme problems give rise to extreme prayers. Extreme problems give birth to extreme prayers. After God, God's will manifests itself, listen, go into battle. The prayer is honoring to God. Son, stand still. Now, when you align yourself with the mind and the heart of God through his word, and you see that we're in a world right there that is dying, okay? There's a lot of suffering out there. 
there's a lot of challenges out there. There's a lot of tragedy out there. And it's something that I don't know that we take as serious as we could sometimes because we're so caught up in us. But as I was thinking about this, one of the common things that we ask for as a church, Jesus, come back quickly. Yes? Is that you? Because that's me. Jesus, come back quickly. Anytime I see a tragedy on the news, anytime we see a school shooting, anytime we see a terrorist attack, anytime we see people doing the abominable, the ugly out there, we say, Jesus, come back quickly. But maybe sometimes I wonder if we should change the prayer. The sun stands still. Why did they ask for the sun to stand still and for the moon not to move? Why did they ask that? So that they could have more time to defeat evil. They could have more time to defeat the power of God. You see, my guess is, is that you all sitting here today have people in your life that don't know Jesus. You have people in your life that don't know him, that need to know him. And so maybe sometimes what we need to pray is, God, sun stands still. There's still more work to be done. There's still more disciples to be made. There's still more evangelism. There's still more people that need to be touched with the love of Jesus Christ through your church. Just crying out to him saying, do you th- let me ask you something. Do you think that that's a pleasing prayer to God? God, just help us get to them. Help us get to the hurting. Help us get to the lost. The Bible tells us in Luke 19 that Jesus came to seek and save that which was lost. If the church adapted that mission and took it seriously, all you have to do is walk out of those doors after we say amen and bam, you're on the mission field. You're on the mission field. But not only there. You come into this room. You come into the locker room. You come into the locker room. You get in front of the Word of God. You get on your knees. And you see that, guess what? This room is full of hurting people. This room is full of people in recovery. It's full of people that are fighting terrible diseases. It's full of people that are suffering from being discouraged. It's full of people that are dealing with anger and anxiety. It's full of hurting people. That's why I love our church, quite honestly. It's not a group of people looking to play church. It's just people here seeking God and looking for Him and honest about their hurt. And the more honest we are about our hurt, the more extreme our prayer. God, help us. Children of Israel, help us. We're the Gibeonites. We just aligned ourselves with you. We need your help, children of Israel, because we need your God. Are they looking at you and saying, you know what? We need help. We're hurting. I need Anthony's God. I need Rich's God. I need Matthias's God. I need Nelson's God. When they look at you that they could see that, we need that. We see what God is doing in your life. We see the light shining through you. We need your God bad because this is an extreme problem that we're going through. And the one thing that we know is that this problem, the way that it's playing out right now, we cannot do this on our own. We cannot. We need something massive to happen. And Joshua being faced with this army fighting evil says, sun, stand still, moon, don't move. It's an extreme problem that gives birth to an extreme prayer. And now what happens is this, is because the extreme problem gives birth to the extreme prayer, what we see is that it gives rise 
to display the extreme power of our God, not Joshua, not the army of Israel. Make sure that you see what happens in the passage. It said more met their demise through the hailstones God sent because God was fighting the battle. Oh, by the way, Israel was there. Folks, when you go out and preach the gospel, you better understand this, and it will take the pressure off. Have a burden for the people that are hurting. Have a burden for them, hurt for them, long for them, pray for them, but understand at the end you give them the love of God, you give them God's word, and then you get out of the way. Because that's something that only the Holy Spirit can do to change a heart or to strengthen someone to overcome the battle that they're in. Sun stands still. Moon. So here's what happens in verse 13. So the sun stood still over Gibeon. The moon stopped till the people had had revenge upon their enemies. Is this not what was written in the book of Jasher? So the sun stood still in the midst of heaven, and it did not hasten to go down for about a whole day. And there has been no day like that before it or after it that the Lord heeded the voice of a man, for the Lord fought for Israel. Then Joshua returned, and all Israel with him to the camp at Gilgal. Joshua didn't surprise God with his prayer, but prayer was the vehicle that God used to manifest his amazing wonderful, awesome power. And the sun stands still. You see, that's what happens. You have the kind of prayers that can make the sun stand still when you've aligned yourself with God's word and his will. When you've aligned yourself with his word and his will and you've prioritized what he prioritizes, the wind is at your back, your sails are up, and you're flying, man. You're flying. You're doing the thing that you were made to do and you've got the power of God behind you because he loves it when his children obey him and, and make priority the things that are important to him. And so the sun stands still and evil is defeated that much more simply because Joshua said, sun stand still, moon don't move. Turn back just for a second to the book of Mark. Let's go back to where the disciples were at. Do you remember where they were at? They were in the middle of a very terrible storm, right? They were in the middle of this storm. Jesus was asleep on a pillow. Make sure that the phrase, make sure it tells us that, it's, that he's asleep on a pillow. And so if you can see the scene, the disciples are scrambling. The disciples are panicking. They're probably yelling at each other. They're probably turning on each other. Why is Jesus sleeping? Why is he sleeping? Jesus, wake up. Can you, do you see this? He's like, yes, I created the idea of weather, you know? <laughs> you know, it's like, yes, he gets it. And what does Jesus do? It says, Jesus arose. Listen, church, and he rebuked the wind and said to the sea, three words, peace, be still. And maybe during your storm right now, he's saying the same thing to the storm that's going on in your life, to the storm in your heart. He's saying, peace, be still. I'm on the boat. I never left. But the disciples have to come to him. 
All right, the disciples come to him. They call upon him. He says, peace be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. But he said to them, why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? He's basically saying, how, how is this possible? You guys have been walking with me for so long. And how is it that you're afraid here knowing that I'm with you? How many times has God delivered us when we get put in a similar situation and we're still freaking out like the disciples on the boat? Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? Would he ask that question of you today? Would he ask that question of any of you? Why are you being so fearful? You've gone to church. You, you came up during the altar call because you felt the, the move of the Spirit. You, you've seen the things that I've done in your life. You've seen me make good on my promises time and time again. And if all of that weren't enough, I sent my son on a cross. And by the way, I owe you nothing. Why are you so fearful? I showed you how much I love you when I sent my boy to that cross for you. And they feared exceedingly and said to one another, Listen, who can this be that even the wind and the sea obey him? So what's your problem? What's your extreme problem? What's the extreme storm in your life? The first thing that your pastor's always going to ask you, have you prayed about it? Have you gotten into dialogue? Have you talked to him about it? Have you called upon his name? Have you said an extreme prayer to him? And are you ready to see his extreme power? The disciples, can you imagine them sitting on this boat? They had panicked. They were a moment ago fearing for their life. And now they're simply saying, what is this? Who is this? What we see is that this same Jesus, he had the power to walk on the water. He showed us that. He had the power to feed the multitudes. He had the power to calm the storms. He had the power to touch the leopards and heal them. He had the power to heal the blind, to make the lame walk. By the way, he has power over sin. By the way, he raises the dead. By the way, church, Christ is risen from the dead, trampling over death by death. Come awake, church. Come awake. This is the power of God that is accessible. Not only is it accessible, but it shines the brightest during your darkest moment. So think hard about that thing that you're running from today. Think hard about that thing that you're trying to avoid today. And understand this, is that it's during those moments that God does the absolutely impossible. Moral to the story? Pray. <laughs> pray. And when you feel like you can't pray anymore, pray. And when you're struggling to pray, grab a brother, grab a sister, and pray. Pray the sun stands still. Pray that there, if there are people out there that do not know this message, that do not know the truth of this God that has saved your life, that has saved your soul, remembering this, and this is the last verse, this will be our closing verse today, and it's John 1. You don't have to turn there, but I just want to read this to you. 
It's John chapter 1, verse 12. This is the Gospel of John. But as many as received him, if you've received him in this room, say amen. amen. All right, if you've received him in this room, say amen. amen. Okay, here you go. This one's for you then. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. To those who received him, he gave the power. He gave the authority to become the children of God. That is huge. Every unsaved human being, listen church, is under the authority and the influence of the devil. Yes, we talk about him at Calvary Chapel. He's real. He's not running around with a pitchfork. He's not this cute little creature that makes tasty dessert treats. Okay, he's real. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy, and every unsaved human being is under that spiritual influence and authority. What if you are the light for the people that are going through extreme problems and during their extreme problems, you become a light to them to lead them to this extreme power that they take a look and they say, I need your God. What's happened is this, is that in that moment, when they call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, the authority of God has been given to them, and it doesn't matter what its name may be. It doesn't matter if they're up against sin, addiction, defeat, sickness, poverty, whatever demon they're up against. To those who received him, he gave the power to be the children of God. What's your extreme problem? When J. Wilbur Chapman was in London, he had the opportunity to meet General Booth, who at that time was past 80 years of age. Dr. Chapman listened reverently as the old general spoke of the trials and the conflicts and the victories. Then the American evangelist asked the general if he would disclose the secret for his success. He hesitated a second. Dr. Chapman said, and I saw the tears come into his eyes and steal down his cheeks. And he said, I will tell you the secret of my success. God has all there was of me. He has had all that there was of me. There have been men with greater brains than I. Men with greater opportunities than I. But from the day that I got to the poor of London and the poor were on my heart, and a vision of what Jesus Christ could do with the poor of London, I made up my mind that God would have all of William Booth there was. And if there was anything of the power in the Salvation Army today, it is because God has had all the adoration of my heart and all the power of my will and all the influence of my life. All the power, all the will, all the influence over his life. Dr. Chapman said he went away that meeting with, after that meeting with General Booth saying this, the greatness of a man's power, listen. The greatness of a man's power is the measure of his surrender. The greatness of a man's power is the measure of his surrender. Surrender. 